notes, so bear with me as I use a phone, as the rest of you are. Most of you have phones, but if you like bringing your paper Bible, that's cool. And then just real quick before I move on from this, I was actually thinking about uh, carrying a real Bible up here so you would still think I was spiritual, but I would have to cut out the Bible to put my phone in it. And then that would be unspiritual, so I, I don't know. Even though it's just paper, but I was just thinking, like, you guys would think I was a lot more spiritual if I was holding that Bible right now. And how did I come up with this idea? I forgot my Bible today. So that, saying all of that, I forgot my Bible today, so then I thought, started thinking about it. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, the need brings about an invention. So I'm going to try this today, even though my wife's bringing my Bible later. See how it looks. You guys can write Lauren L. Sciensky at mpichurch.org if you guys have questions or comments about me doing this today. Are you ready for 1 John chapter 3, verse 11? Everybody say the laid down life. Today we're going to be talking about the laid down life. Say it again, the laid down life. Thank you. This is a somewhat small passage, a lot of information packed into it, so I'm just going to read it from start to finish right now. I'm going to go through it all, and then we'll go back over it. But let's hear it in its entirety. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Somebody say, Jesus laid down his life for us. Amen. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, do not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth and in truth. And the last part here says, this is how we know that we belong to truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he is in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Amen. Isn't that powerful? I mean, we can just go back in time 2,000 years and see John preaching to us. I mean, you get past the translation issue. Many of us might not know the original Greek language. We understand the English from the translation. There's not a lot there you probably don't understand. It's pretty clear. Let's go back to the beginning and look at some of these verses more in depth. Let's look to verse 11. John is reminding us of the message. Somebody say the message. The message that we've always heard from the beginning is that we have to love one another. 
Jesus taught us that message, and Moses in the Old Testament taught us that message. We, as people who believe in God, ought to show our belief by our deeds. If we say we believe in God but treat our neighbors bad, don't respect and honor each other, we're not really people of God. That's why the world expects us to act differently. They believe they're evolved primates that came from a random explosion and that somehow now they have life. Therefore, they can do whatever they want with this random life, can't they? But they expect us to do otherwise. So when we're out preaching on the streets, they'll point their fingers at us, not realizing the other fingers are all pointing at them because they have no ground to stand on. If you're just an evolved primate, why is it wrong to murder? Why is slavery wrong? Why is anything they want to point out in life and have a problem with God, why is it? Why is rape wrong? Is it wrong, my friends, when a lion rapes another lion on the Serengeti Plains? Is it wrong when that lion eats the young of the other uh, lion, you know, the lionesses and the pride over there? Is there anything wrong with their cannibalism? Of course there's not. So why is it wrong when humans do it? Why is it wrong when you do it? You see, we all know that God has given us morality. We know that. And so what the world tries to do is use that against Christians to show hypocrisy. But remember, just because there's a lot of fat people at your gym or out of shape people, that doesn't mean you can't go to your gym and get in shape. Can I hear an amen? And maybe they're there getting in shape. Come on, somebody. How many were a big person and you went to a gym? How many were going there to lose some weight? I used to be fat. Now, fat's not a PC word anymore. I should use the word overweight. I'm sorry. But I only speak to you as I speak to myself. I was fat. I was 80 pounds overweight. And I went to the gym, and somebody might have looked at me and said, look at all these hypocrites in this gym, all these fat people. Does that mean now they shouldn't work out? No. So if you look at the church and you go, oh, look at all these hypocrites. Look at all these sinners. Does that mean you shouldn't go to church and be a saint? No. Isn't this the place where sinners become saints? Come on, I'm asking you a question. Isn't this a place where sinners become saints? Now, what is hypocritical and what is wrong is if sinners want to remain sinners in church. Now, that's not right. You shouldn't call yourself a Christian while you're wanting to remain a sinner, nor should I call myself healthy or wanting to work out when I go to the gym and don't do what I'm supposed to do. But if you see me as a big person working out, eating healthy, man, call me what I am. I'm getting in shape. I'm doing the right thing. Is everybody tracking with me? Because how else are, are, are overweight people supposed to get in shape? How else are sinners supposed to become saints? And so this idea that no one can really live this out, so what's the point in trying? That's not Christianity. Christianity sets the goal of perfection and says that's what we're all supposed to go for. Otherwise, we should just do wedding ceremonies different instead of, you know, to have and to hold for better or for worse, you know, because that's a person you should love. How many know you should love your spouse, right? Instead of doing all of that, we should say, are you going to kind of sort of try to do this? Maybe don't have 10 affairs. Just have eight affairs over your lifetime. Uh, don't, don't get too upset, and if you beat each other, don't leave marks, isn't, you know, isn't that the way the world would want us to do the wedding ceremony? If we took serious what they're saying, nobody's perfect and, and we're, we're, we're always a mess and you just got to learn to get along with me and this is my truth. If that was really the way it was supposed to be done, would, would we be making agreements like that in marriage? No, we don't want that. Would we want to make an agreement like that in business? I might, like I'm a construction worker, I might remodel your house, I might tear it up. 
It, this, this might work out, it might not. I might steal some of your money when I'm in your house. Hey, nobody's perfect. Do we, do we want a world that looks at life that way? Do we want parents raising their children that way? I might kill you. Now, I know my mom might have said that to me jokingly, but I'm talking like seriously. Like, I might poison you today. I might beat you up. I might, do, I might kick you down the street. You know, No, we, we all expect perfection, and when it's not there, that's when we call somebody on it, and we go, you need to repent for that. Tell me you're sorry. How about this? How about this? We all expect everybody on the bus to walk perfectly without stepping on our shoes. And the moment they step on our shoe, what do we expect back? An apology. You, you could have walked perfectly down here, but you didn't. You see, we all have a standard of perfection because we were born with that standard. We were born knowing good from evil, and we all know when it's evil. We know when it's wrong. We know, you know, whether or not that person stepped on our shoe by accident, and then they just simply give us a polite, I'm sorry, or if they're just stomping, you know, doing like that, then, then we got a problem with that because we know what evil looks like. You don't accidentally do evil. Come on, somebody. You don't accidentally go to an abortion clinic and take that child out of your womb. You know that's evil. You know what that is. That's why they have to have all of these, uh, these ways around looking at their sin. We know what good and evil is, and our conscience bears witness to it. Now, you can sear your conscience. You could try to get away from your conscience, but you nonetheless still have it. You still have it. So the Bible says this is our message. We should love one another. Now, just apply that in every possible way of your life. I mentioned abortion. We should love the child in the womb. Don't murder the child. I should love you and not steal from you. If I love you, will I break any of the Ten Commandments against you? Like, will I, will I lie to you if I love you? No. Will I steal from you if I love you? Will I murder you if I love you? Of course. Will I covet what you have if I love you? No, I'm celebrating. I'm celebrating what you have. So love one another. Church, love one another. I need to love you. You need to love me. We need, even need to love our enemies. Now, the Bible gives this example. Don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And so now we understand that Cain, way back in the beginning when he murdered his brother uh, Abel, that was evil. And so we know what evil looks like. It's like when you murder your brother out of jealousy. But notice the comparison here because most of us haven't murdered our siblings, though some of you might have felt like it. Uh, the comparison here is why did he murder him? Look at this verse highlighted. Because his own actions were what? Evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, right here, the Bible says this is honestly why most people are going to hate you as a Christian. Why did Cain hate Abel? Because Abel did what was right, and we just received the tithes and offerings. But listen to me. If you are robbing from God, you're doing what's evil. That goes way back to the beginning, way back in the beginning. The Bible says that when one was growing his crops, one was taking care of animals, they both came with gifts to the Lord. However, the one who had animals said, I bring my best. That's what, that's what Abel did. Abel said, I bring my best. I look for the best, the firstborn, and I bring this to God. The other one, uh, Cain, who brought his vegetables, said, man, I'm going to pick the one that, that already looks weird, the worm's been eaten on it, the one that already fell on the ground. I'm just going to toss that to God because he's just a spirit anyway. What does he need an apple or an orange for? I'm just going to throw that to him. And we don't give God our leftovers and expect it to be righteous. 
That's a, that's a Bible principle. That's why I give before my taxes come out. They took out my taxes because they didn't trust me to pay them. So I go back to that big number and I tithe off that number because that's my real number, Jack. Are you listening to me? And I do that as a blessing to the Lord, not because, because I'm just afraid of hell, but because I'm so grateful that I had that big number. Amen? And all y'all who want to vote for Bernie and get a bunch of free stuff, that number is going to get really small after everything he takes out of there. Are you listening? There is nothing free in life. That's why everybody in Illinois is so upset with the mayor and the governor because so many in our state wanted all that free stuff. I want my college paid for. I want this. I want this. Where do you think that comes from? That comes from our paychecks. I'm not trying to get all political, but if I do, you probably won't like me anyway, but it's okay. But I'm just helping you out. I give to God out of that big number. That big number is what I made before Uncle Sam came and took his portion out. I give. Now, that's what the Bible says Abel did, and Cain got angry with him, and then he murdered him out of that. And now look at verse 13. It says, so don't be surprised if the world hates you. If the world hates you, it's because they hate Jesus. Go to John chapter 15. Here's Jesus talking, John chapter 15, verse 18. If I could have a little bit in the monitors, please, thank you. John chapter 15, verse 18, this is Jesus giving us the understanding of how people are going to treat us. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me, what? First, that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world. Come on, somebody say, I don't belong to the world. Amen, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Just a little bit more in the monitors, please. Thank you. When we look at the scriptures, we see that there's the world and there's God. Now, we know God created this world, but this world has turned against God. And so we already notice in the book of 1 John, it says, don't love the world nor the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life does not come from the Father, but is of the world, and the world passes away. But those who love the Father will endure forever, who do his will. And so we understand that this idea of world and Jesus comes from Jesus himself. He said, you have on one side me. You got me over here. Somebody say, you got Jesus. And over here, you got everything else. Everything else. You have the devil, you have his kingdom, you have his way of thinking, you have his mindset, his worldview, his prosperity, whatever he can promise you. You have that here in the world, and over here you have Jesus. And the Bible's being very clear to us that when you leave this mindset of the world, when you stop operating as the world does in this worldview, when you stop thinking about your morals the way they do, and you come over here to the Jesus side, those folks over there are going to have something to say about you. They're going to hate you. They're literally going to hate you. Jesus is telling us that the reason why they don't hate other folks even though they look religious, is because those folks are just like them. Do you understand that? That's why they'll have Linda Sassor, the Muslim, lead the women's march and love her. They will love her as a Muslim woman, even though in the heart of Islam, in the place of Saudi Arabia, women haven't been able to drive up until a few years ago. But they won't see the hypocrisy in that woman because that woman has something in common with Ellen and all the other women of this culture that they hate American Christians. They don't want there to be Christian values taught in America. So as the old saying goes, the, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Are you listening to me? 
Or the friend of my, no, it's the enemy of my enemy, right? Yeah, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So you'll see the Muslim come together against the Christian. You'll see the Hindu come together against the Christian. You'll see everybody come against the Christian because the Christian is standing on the ground of God is right and y'all are wrong. God is right and y'all are wrong. That, we're not trying to say, well, there's some truth here, there's some truth. There. That's not what we're here to do as Christians. What we're here to do as Christians is tell them the teachings of Jesus, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him. Let's go back to the notes in verse 14. The Bible says, you know you've passed from death to life when you love each other. So even though it's important that we get our doctrines right and we stand for righteousness, we ought to have the first sign or fruit or evidence that we are truly in the God of the Bible, living with him, is that if we love each other. So more importantly than having all of the sassy one-liners against all this stuff going on in our world, setting them straight, you know, and rebuking everybody, what we need to have right is our love for each other. Because now the Bible says, if you hate, you're a murderer just like Cain was a murderer. Those are the words of Jesus. We don't have to turn there, but we've preached on this as well. In the Beatitudes, Jesus lays out the attitudes of Christianity, and then he starts working through some of the popular commandments, like thou shall not murder, thou shall not commit adultery, and he starts to expand them, and he says, you've heard, don't commit adultery. Y'all got that? Don't cheat on somebody who's not your, uh, you know, don't have an affair with someone that's not your spouse. So the Bible says that that's that's obviously wrong, but Jesus went one step further and said, if you lust, now you're doing that. How many remember when he said that? And he did the same thing with murder. You know not to murder. You've been told that. Don't take an ax and murder. Okay, don't do that. Don't kill somebody. But then he took it one step further. He said, if you hate and you're angry and you're cursing people out, you're also a murderer. How many believe Jesus' definition there of murder? Because when we are cursing, when we are speaking negative towards people, we no longer have the heart of God. We're not honoring them as an image of God, and we're taking away their value. And all of that, according to Jesus, equals murder. How many believe that? Can I hear an amen? So what's that passage teaching us? That passage is teaching us that we are to love one another. And that means we keep God's commands, we follow them, we teach them to others. If the world hates us, we don't get upset with them in the way that they're upset with us. We forgive them, we pray for them, and then we can look at our lives and see how we're doing in Christianity on whether or not we're loving people. So I can see how I did when I went out and preached there on Chicago and state. I can see how well I did, not by how many arguments I won or how many people I put down, but how well I love them. That's how you're supposed to judge your life, not just by how, uh, you know, how you don't do a bunch of these bad things, but how well you extend the love of Jesus to others. Now let's go to verse 16. This is how we know what love is. This is the heart of today's message. This is how we can have a sound definition of love. Because remember, if the world says, I believe in love, because we ask people all the time when we're on the streets, you know, what's life about? What's the purpose of life? You know, what are you on this planet for? And somebody will be like, love, you know? And that's true, right? We're here for love. We're here to love God and people. But then we always respond back to them, what's the definition of love? And why should your definition matter? 
On my way to New Orleans, we drove about 13 hours, and I binge-watched a whole bunch of shows on cults. Thank you very much, Ashley Munez. She posted it up, and then I said, I'm going to watch this. So I watched so many of these different cults, and it's amazing what people call love and what they want you to believe is love. You can be brainwashed as a Nazi to believe love for the Aryan race is putting a bunch of rats, so-called Jews, into a, a gas chamber. They were convinced that was love. You can be convinced it's love to paddle another person. These movie stars join these cults. They think they're smarter than Christianity. And before you know it, they find themselves being branded with hot irons and being paddled. The fool, come on, the fool in their file. That's what happens when you reject Christianity. You end up being, being bamboozled by a man who will not be like Jesus to you. So I'm watching all of these calls, and they all got definition of love. I was watching about the fundamental Mormon church and how it was love for these people to give their uh, prepubescent children to Warren Jeffs to the point where he had over 30 wives. It got to be 65 wives, and so many of them were right around the age of puberty or under the age of puberty. That's why he's serving a life sentence right now. But he wasn't kidnapping those children. Parents were giving the children to him in love. Come on, somebody. Gangbanger says what he's doing is love. He's taking care of his people. He's taking care of his gang. He calls that love. This is love shooting up a block. See how much I love my gang. I care about you guys. People call greed love. This, this, is, this is me loving on you, like Cardi B said. Listen, I got to spend 100000 a month on my, on my look. Otherwise, I can't give you that image that you want me to give you. So don't complain. Just celebrate me. Worship me as your idol because me spending that money on myself shows you how much I love you as my fans. Oh, y'all get upset when I talk about people you know. Oh, you want me to talk about somebody you don't know. Let's talk about Judas in the Bible. No, let's talk about Cardi B. Let's talk about people you know. Hello, somebody. Let's call that love. No, let's be honest. This world doesn't understand love, and yet they want to point their finger all over the place and tell you what love is. Well, if you love me, you wouldn't judge me. Man, try that as a child back to your parent, young people. Mom, if you loved me, you wouldn't judge me in my room. If you loved me, you would let me eat Twinkies every day. Try that back to your boss. Boss, if you loved me, you would let me take a three-hour break, boss. Tell that back to the police officer. If you love me, you would let me run these stop signs and these red lights. It doesn't work in real life. Why would it work in Christianity? God judges those he loves. Bible says he loves the whole world and he's going to judge the whole world. What don't you understand about that? I love everybody in my house, but I judge everybody in my house. I have to make decisions in my house. I have to keep order in my house. Aren't you happy about that today? Aren't you happy my wife's not turning tricks? I didn't marry a woman turning tricks in my house. Come on, somebody. Aren't you happy my kids are well-behaved? I mean, there has to be a Christianity that looks like Christ. If what we call love doesn't look like Jesus, we're not calling it, or we're not living by the right name. We're not living by Christianity. You might be living by Oprahanity. You might be, come on, you might be living by Trump entity. You might be living by, by Bernie Sanders entity. I'm living by Christianity, Christianity. Christ's definition of love is what I want. And how did he define love? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So love looks like self-sacrifice. Love will look like you laying down your rights 
you laying down your privileges so that others can have what you have, so that you can help and to serve. Not just giving handouts, but hand ups. Laying down your life for your brother and your sister. Making known to this world that you are a servant. That doesn't mean you're going to be a doormat. Just because Jesus laid down his life for others, that didn't now mean he said, well, Hinduism is a good thing to follow. No, he still rebuked all the false gods of that time. But he said, I'm going to lay down my life so I can make a way for you to serve the real God. It doesn't mean I always agree with you. It just means when I'm disagreeing with you, I'm doing it in love because I'm going to take this time to help you right now. I didn't change myself. God changed me, so love will change you. And so when we look at the world and their definition of love, we know it's messed up, but let's make it personal in this place right now. Let's make a decision. We're going to love like Jesus. That means here in this church, we are not going to fight, argue, get upset with each other because we are asked to serve each other. Let's read this, and I'm going to make it real plain. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So if there was genuinely somebody hungry here today or naked, how could we say we love them without helping them? Now, this doesn't mean we help every homeless one-eyed Willie next to the stoplight there because they might be taking advantage of our charity and abusing it. We ought to give them a real resource like a drug rehab or a homeless shelter. And by the way, I took in over 30 homeless people into my house, and I figured out how and why they started homeless shelters because we are not at the right place as homeowners or individuals able to help them with all their needs. I understand now it's better to let them go to a structured program. But I used to bring them into my house and do all of that. And I, I still would in some ways. But I figured out, man, there's a reason why there's a homeless shelter. I can't give this person all that they need. They're sneaking around. They're doing all this and that. But I'm going to support that homeless shelter. I'm going to make sure they have a ride to get to that homeless shelter. And we have some great homeless shelters in this city. Can I hear an amen for that? Our church preaches at the Pacific Garden Homeless Shelter, and that's a wonderful place. I'll tell you what, if I was homeless and it was cold like it was in some of these months in January and February, man, I would be there. I would be there because I would be making a decision to get off the streets. A lot of times people are on streets for their own decision. Now, you might say they got kicked out their house. They had problems. Yeah, I understand that. But now that you're in that situation, what are you going to do? Don't take your children and live under the bridge and expect me to feel sorry for you and bring you some hot soup every day. I'm going to give you a bus card so you can go to Pacific Gardens. Are you listening to me? Because homeless people will try to make you feel like you got to do it every, all these things their way. I'm not here to help you your way. That's how you got homeless was your way. I'm here to help you my way. I ain't been homeless for over 20 years, amen? So you can keep following your stupidity out here and try to say Christians don't love you, but you or you could receive the help we give you. Now, the Bible says we don't just love with words or speech. We love with actions and in truth. How many know if I keep saying I love you, but I'm sinning against you, my words don't mean much? How many know if we keep saying to this world we love them but don't show them, it doesn't mean much? Every church says they love their community, but how many are out in their community? Come on, y'all got quiet in this Presbyterian church. I said every church says they love their people, but how many are out in that community? Every church says they love high schools, but how many of them are at the high schools? Every person in my, in my religious circle says they love Chicago, they love this. Yeah, but why aren't you on the streets where Chicago is? Why don't you go downtown and see how Chicago thinks about you? <laughs> Come on. 
Well, we're just going to go out and hand them out hugs and water bottles. That's not what Jesus said. I mean, if you want to hand them hugs and water bottles, that's good, but you better tell them about Jesus. Sometimes people go out to these festivals like Mardi Gras. I saw this one group, and I'm a little bit ashamed of them because they're my friends, and they were holding up signs going, we're sorry about what mean Christians say. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you mean by that. Are you saying I'm a mean Christian? Because if I say what they say is sin, they're going to call me mean. I mean, look, next time you're sitting down with somebody from the LGBTQ, say it with a smile, I love you, but you are in sin. And see if they still call you mean. Because they still call me mean. I go out to Belmont and Clark. I go to Boys Town. I've been out there three and a half years. I was there every Friday and Saturday. There was no way to say it that they didn't take it as mean. Are you listening? Because in their mind, they think we're like racists. It would be like looking at a person of a different color, different nationality going, you know what? I just don't like your kind of people. Well, to them, it didn't matter if I was smiling or whatever. That's still racism. How many know that's true? That is racism if you have that in your heart. But what we're saying is not based on race. It's not based on we not like you as a person. What we're saying is you are a sinner. This is called sin. This is something you made a choice about. That's why I love that one brother, uh, Bizzle. He made a song after... uh, after Macklemore came out, I think it was at the Grammys or whatever, and they sang a song, you know, about homosexuality and compared it to slavery. And this one African-American brother came out here and said, and said, man, I didn't get to choose my color. I was pushed off the bus. My people went through all of this. You're choosing to be perverts, and you want us to affirm it, and now you say it's the same thing as slavery. And Martin Luther King Jr.'s niece will tell you Martin Luther King Jr. was not for adding LGBTQ to the civil rights movement because it wasn't the same thing. Now, you can take that and put that in your Holy Ghost pipe and smoke it in Jesus' name. (laughs) Civil rights means you have the same rights. It doesn't mean I have to approve of your lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Are you listening to me? And I love you enough to tell you that. But listen, I'm not just loving you with my words. How did I love the LGBTQ community? How do I still love them? I spend time with them. I take them out to lunch. I, I help them. One of the lesbians that I met there on Belmont and Clark, she would talk with me and get you know, a little upset with me, and we would give them our number, my wife and I. And one time she called us up, and she said, will you come and do a funeral for me? And I said, why, why is that? She said, well, my grandfather passed away, and we don't really go to church. And they asked me if I know anybody. And I said, well, I know some preacher that meets me out there on Belmont and Clark on Friday nights, but I'll ask him. And I came to that place for free, and I served. She still blessed us, but I didn't ask for one thing. I didn't say, oh, I'm not going to do this because I don't like your lifestyle. See, I loved her. I treated her as I wanted to be treated. But the truth is the truth. Jesus loves us and tells us the truth. Can I hear an amen? amen? That's how you know you belong to the truth, is that you can set your hearts at rest in his presence. Now let's make this applicable. I want everybody to hear my heart as a pastor because when I do these things as a pastor, so many times people think I'm talking about you. So I want to be very clear right here. Everybody say, Pastor is talking about everybody. (laughs) I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. Here it is. We started this church a while back with mostly young adults. A lot of those young adults have stuck with us and gotten older to become middle-aged adults. But yet we have still gathered in a lot of young adults. So if you are under the age of 35, would you stand up and then clap for yourselves? Because we're going to need you to clap because there won't be enough to clap for you if you don't clap. Come on. You're under 35. You're under 35 and you're at church today. Amen. Some of y'all still sitting down and you're like 12. Okay, that's all right. 
You may be seated. Thank you. Clapping for yourself made it sound cool. Thank you. Because there wouldn't have been many other people clapping. Um, and so this is how I describe our church. We're a young adult church. We're a cool church. And a lot of the people in our church are movers and shakers, been to college, young career professionals. Some are grinding on their job, you know, coming up through their trades. Others, you know, uh, stay-at-home moms but continue to work in the home and make their home a blessing. You know, we have, we have so much what I would call of an overachiever spirit in our church. The amount of finances that this group, you, bring into the church blows people's minds that we can do what we do debt-free and have all of the resources and not charge and not have spaghetti dinners and all types of third and fourth offerings. And we, we just give out of generosity. We spend it on the things of God. You all, we all go hard for Jesus in here. I, I'm just so proud of you as a congregation at the same time. At the same, not a but, but at the same time, what I have noticed over the years is that there's a tug of war that happens when our church starts to get a little bit more mature. When the individual in the church, rather, starts to get mature, they get married now. They have their first baby. They graduate college. They get their career. The restaurant, the business, the construction company, the plumbing, it, the business, it starts going and growing and things start happening. So often what we hear from our overachieving young adults, I'm so busy. I don't know if I can help in the church. I've got so many things on my plate. If I hear that phrase one more time, so many things on my plate, I'm going to take your plate and break your plate. I'm tired of your little lame plate. You got to get a buffet plate, y'all. You got a little saucer plate. You need to get one of those old country buffet plates. You need to get one of those lunchroom plates. Are you listening? I, I got so much on my plate. This is your plate. This is your saucer, your little tea plate. This is what you got. But I understand, I understand things change. I have six kids. I'm getting my doctorate. Life moves fast. But here's the question I want to ask you. It's easy to write a check to a homeless ministry. It's easy to send some money to missions. It's another thing to see your church in need and then to actually do something about it. See, many of you will give your tithes, you'll give your offerings, you'll say, man, I'm a part of this church, pastor. But when we ask you to usher, you say, oh, man, that's too much. When we ask you to come early to the life group you're in, you're like, man, my job, man, I'm too busy. I got too much on my, my, my plate, right? Come on, man, I got too much here. And it's frustrating. I'm going to tell you why it's frustrating. It's because you don't see the joy of serving God in that way. You're not understanding that worship is in your work. You are separating your work from your worship, and that's the problem, and you're missing this. And, and listen to me. It's not that I want to recruit more life group leaders, more band members. I'm not here to just recruit you to do more because here's the thing. God will send someone else to do it. Eventually, there will be a greeter where you could have been a greeter. Eventually, there will be a band member where you could have been a band member. There will be a life group leader. We are a patient church, and we will wait for that person to arise. But here's the thing. You'll be in that same place with a plate like this. And what I want to do is plead with you the way John pleaded with them and say, don't you see the need? I mean, don't you see we have a need for these things in our church? Now, I get it, we can't do everything, but you can do something. 
My question is, have you prayed about your something? Because here's how I come to Christianity. And if you think it only applies to pastors, you don't understand this context here. Because it's not saying only when pastors see a need, fill it. No, it's saying everybody, when you see a need, have pity, fill that need if you can. Here's what I say, and I've been living by this principle. It's, it's summarized by John Wesley's one-liner. Do all the good you can to as many people as you can for as long as you can. Are you doing all that you can? Because I want to give God a blank check. I want to give God a blank check of my life and say, God, here it is. This is my life. You fill in what I give back to the church. You fill in what I give to the people around me. Lord, that's yours. You decide that because so often I listen to people and if we, were, if we were a church that encouraged that, we would become like every other church, statistically speaking, this is not to make us look good and them look bad, but statistically speaking, in most churches around the city, around the country, have what's called the Pareto principle. That means only 20% of the congregation does 80% of the work. We would become like most congregations where there's only a select few that you see doing all the work, doing all the different ministries, and then the rest showing up like it's a Justin Bieber concert, you know, and you're just, you're just so special that you came, and we're just so honored. How dare we get in your business? You, we should just be happy. Ah, oh, you graced us today. I'm here. I came late, but don't be upset because I'm here. I don't help. I don't offer anything, but I'm here. Aren't you proud of me? Some of you are still on the level of getting to church. Some of you are still on the level of getting to church on time. But how many know we need to go to a different level? We need to go to get to church early and do something. Stay late and do something. Join a ministry and pour into people's lives. Because if you see a need, just look at it. If anyone has material possessions, and let's just substitute this for if anyone has a gift or if anyone has time or if anyone has a, an ability to do something and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity, does not offer what they can do to help, how can the love of God be in that person? My friends, who takes care of the website right now? I do. Why? Because I see a need and I can fill it. I could ask someone to do it, and I did for a while, people who were not as good at it, and they would lose the passion for it, and they would drop the ball. So I said, I'll do it. No problem. I want to keep that thing up. I want it to look good. I'll do it. You know, what, what's at your life group right now where you can just raise your hand and go, I'll do it? You know, some of you have homes, but you won't open up your homes for life group. What devil's life have you believed? Some, some of you have been preaching and teaching, you know, with us on the streets, but you won't preach and teach in a life group. You don't think you're ready to do X, Y, and Z. My friends, if we come to you and say you're ready, you are ready. That would be like a private saying to the sergeant in the military, I'm not ready to drive that tank. And the sergeant like, yes, you are. You are ready to drive that tank. Get in that tank and drive it. People tell us all the time, well, I'm not ready. I don't think I'm qualified. And I'm like, how many people have you qualified in this position? None. I've qualified over a 1,000. Let me help you. You qualified. The problem isn't are you qualified. It's, it's a hard issue. People come to us with all the ridiculous things, and they call it spirituality. That Jesus that's giving you that message ain't the Jesus of the Bible. That's Jesus, the one who sells in lotes down the road. 
well, my Jesus told me to do X, Y, and Z. And yeah, and your Jesus also asked you if you wanted more chicharron or whatever, or, you know, or the hot sauce on the chicharron. That's what he asked you. The real Jesus, the real Jesus doesn't talk like that. The real Jesus says, I laid down my life. You, you are a middle-class hipster, and you don't have an hour to give to a life group? Like, what planet are you living on? I call myself a Christian, but I don't sacrifice anything. The church has to be this amount of time in my life. It has to fit into this agenda. And if not, I'm going to go roll out. I mean, come on, y'all. That's nothing like Jesus. Even if this church wasn't for you and you had to go roll out somewhere else, don't roll out as a simpleton. Don't roll out as somebody who doesn't know your left hand from your right. Roll out that you've left 10, 20 people in your place. You've finished your assignment, and now God is moving you out out somewhere. Are you listening to me? Don't roll out like, man, I've heard people say, oh, that, you know, Pastor Joe and these guys, they put this vision up here. They just want us to do stuff, and and I just want to go to church. Yeah, we want you to do stuff. We want you to lay down your life for others. That's what we want you to do. We don't just want you to say you love, love, love church. We want you to put in actions to your love and do something in church. Do something for somebody else. I mean, if we all just found a way to get out of stuff, then nothing would be done. Nothing, nothing. I mean, come on. All the greeters today, didn't you have stuff you could have been doing this morning? All of the ones who open up their homes, I mean, couldn't you be doing other things with your homes? All of you who serve in the children's ministry and in the youth ministry, I mean, couldn't you be doing other things? Is anybody here just wasting time in life saying, I have nothing better to do? Of course not. Of course not. So why is it when we as a church with a group of young adult hipsters and cool cats and those who have a lot to offer the world, why is it it seems like there's a tug and a war going on? Because it's not a plate issue. It's not a time issue. It's it's none of that. It's a heart issue. Because love will make a way. Love will make a way. Love makes a way. Now, does that mean you have to do everything? No, I'm not at every prayer meeting, every life group. There are certain things that God tells me this is my season to do. But some of y'all have no seasoning. You have no thing going on right, man. You so bland. Man, You come on. You so bland. You have no cayenne pepper. You have no salsone in your life. And you saying this is my season. Your seasoning stinks, man. Your season ain't right. That ain't tasty worth nothing. Praise God for some season that brings out the things for the reason. God gives you a season for a reason. It should be spicy and flavorful, and your life should be impacting people, and you should be able to look back at the years you've spent doing these things and see the goodness of God. I see the goodness of God in the website. I get complimented that on all the time, and nobody knows that I make it. But I do that, and it's like, praise God, it's being used for God's glory. Same thing with those of you who are meeting and greeting or coming early, staying late, or in the band or during the children's work. We hear, we hear testimonies that, man, thank you. I felt love when I came to this church, or I bring my children here, and they love coming here. The Bible says that if you just love with words, you're not really loving at all. And let's go to the closing here. The Bible says this is how we, uh, the last chapter, this is how we get over a conscience gone wrong. The Bible says, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we're good, but sometimes our hearts do condemn us. How many of you have felt like sometimes you're not good enough in what you're doing? 
Let's be honest. Maybe the devil comes in and starts to lie to you and says, you're not doing enough. You're not, you're not reading your Bible enough. You're not praying enough. But the Bible says that God knows your heart, and he's greater than your heart. But here's the issue. If you let condemnation take over your heart, you won't get many answers to your prayer. And so what God wants you to do is rest in what he says about you, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. No one is threatening you with hell to do more for others. We're simply saying this is the worthy life of Christ. This is what it means to follow Christ. We do it out of the joy of our hearts. And when we can do it and not feel like we're condemned or trying to earn our salvation... Then we can pray, and the Bible says we can ask uh, God to give us things, and he'll give us whatever we ask. Why is that? Look at what it says in verse 22. Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. So 100% of the prayers I pray that are 100% in line with God's will are 100% answered. Did everybody get that? 100% of the prayers I pray that are 100% in God's will are 100% answered, or just a way of saying all the prayers that I pray according to God's will are always answered. Some of those prayers for the beach house have not been answered yet. Some of the prayers for more, more of this and more of that and some of these have not been answered yet. But for those who are right before God and keeping his commands, we're receiving our answers to prayer. We're receiving them. We are getting what we need in this life, and God is taking care of us. And then he ends by telling us, this is how you live out this command. You believe in Jesus, which we're all saying we do, and now you love each other. And so a church should not be a place where we say we got too much on our plate. A church and a gathering of people, a community of God's people, should be the very place that we're learning to pour ourselves out. This is the place where I practice serving and giving to my neighbor. Because if I can't do it at a life group, how am I going to be a Christian on the job? Because I'm going to be on that job for eight hours. How is it I'm supposed to now somehow figure out how to be a Christian here when I've never been taught how to be a Christian in a life group or humble myself to be, to be taught? You have to humble yourself now and be taught working and serving one another. How many know the people here you serve in your life groups are humans just like your bosses are humans? So you practice serving these humans so that when you go over there, you serve those humans. Your life group leader and your boss are both equally in charge of stuff and have authority. How many believe that? And so at church, you learned how to serve those who have authority, and you do it with love so you can go out there and do it with love. How many know your teacher in high school, young people, or college are just like your teachers in the Bible study? They're both humans, and they know stuff to give you. But if you don't know how to submit to your teacher here, if you don't know how to do what's expected of you here in church, how are you going to do it out there in the world? And those of you who are bosses and employees, how many know that if you don't know how to treat somebody here, that's your brother or sister, when you're asking them to clean up or you're asking them to serve or you're asking them to come early and late, how many know you won't have what it takes to be nice to your employees on the job? The church is the breeding ground of leadership based on love. This is where we, de where we develop loving leaders. This is where we develop world changers. This is where we get good at changing the world. 
And so we don't use it as another burden, as an icky thing that gets on our plate and ruins our American dream. No, we look at what we do here as the foundation for all of our other dreams. Let me say it to you like this. If you don't want to open up your house for a Bible study, I pray that God takes away that house and you become homeless and you realize how important it is to serve God over that house. If you say you can't participate in the things of God because of your job, I pray you get fired and have to go collect food stamps and get the WIC card so that you can understand how important it is to honor God on this job and not make that job an idol. Because I would, and I'm not trying to curse y'all, I'm just being honest. I would rather you suffer a little bit in life to remember the importance of what God should be in your life than to be deceived by your wealth and your riches. I'm telling you, I'm being honest. How many of you, come on, let's just be honest. How many of you, when things have gone well, it was hard to go to church, it was hard to pray because you felt so good about everything around you? Happens all the time in church. You got this job, you've got that baby, you've got that situation, and then now all of a sudden you think you own the world. And I don't mean any harm to you and your family. It's just what I'm saying. I would rather you lose temporary things like job, houses, money, and those kinds of things. I would rather you lose those things and instead of being deceived by them. That's why a lot of people in our church have testimonies of what it was like to come up from where they were to where they are, and they wouldn't trade it for anything. See, my dad developed his business success out of being a good Christian, and so he sees those two hand in hand. If you were to say to my dad in the height of his business, man, you know, quit going to church and you can make more money on these days, he would say, man, if I quit going to church, my business is worthless. Because what do I have without Christ? All I'll have is just a few dollars. But with Christ, I can have success and a content heart. Otherwise, you never have contentment. How many met a lot of, or, or have met rich people, successful people, educated people, but they're not content? It's not enough. How many know some of the most wealthiest, successful people are the most non-content people? They always want the next thing, the next thing. I mean, you can just look up right now the, the fight for the biggest yacht. Right now, I think there's somewhere around $200 million these billionaires are spending on their yachts. It started off as $10 million, then twenty. million. Now there's some, someone is building a $200 million yacht just to say, I've got the biggest yacht. This is how crazy it is. I met a guy when I was in Pensacola who does a professional sailing. He said this started about 100 years ago, and the wealthiest people in the country, they want to get this, this trophy, so they get into sailing. They spend tens and tens of millions of dollars for the crew, for the boat, and they don't win hardly anything out of it. It's just for the privilege. This is the guy telling me this. He's the professional sailor. He said, they do it. They pay us just so that they could say to each other that year, nah, 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 I got you. I got the trophy. That's what he told me that business was like. And you just look around the world. Isn't it so much pride and ego in those things? Why not have both? Contentment with your success. That way you don't have any of the troubles of this world. You can have a house and you can open it up for a Bible study. You can have all of these good things in your life, but you're also giving them out to others. You have a car, but you're taking people to church, right? You've got some extra money, but you're giving it in the offering or helping somebody. You have uh, extra things to, to give. You're giving those away instead of having a garage sale so you can get more junk that doesn't fit in your house so you can sell it for $10 next week. Are you listening? You just, you just change your mentality about what is life. 
It's not what I can take. My name's not Jimmy, and I take all you can give me. I want to give. So when you come to this church, you shouldn't be asking yourself, well, what are you going to do for me? What are they going to do? No, you should be coming to a church going, how can I serve? How can I give back? Honey, let's pray. What areas can we begin to give in? What areas can we begin to serve in? Because that's how we show that we love God. And let's end it with the Trinity. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know he lives in us, by the Spirit of God. So we believe in Jesus Christ, who's the Son. The Father gives us his commands, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. How many are ready to live that life? Come on, stand up and give it up for Jesus. Thank you for coming. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? That wasn't so bad. You guys took it, right? Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Anybody else have a good time today? Oh, hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to convict us. Just start right where it hurts, God. Convict us of where we're not given where we should. If you're here today and you have not become a born-again Christian, I pray the Lord convicts you that you see life as incomplete without God, that something in your heart was stirred that you could see that only God can fill. I pray that everyone here will have holy discontentment that if you're not a Christian, you'll see only God can satisfy you. And if you want to become a Christian, just believe in Jesus as the Bible says. Say it with your words in prayer even as I'm praying. Father, I believe in Jesus. May the Holy Spirit come in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person. Jesus, show us now those who are already Christians, though. Convict us of what we've been putting before you. Show us what we've been putting before you. Show us the idols that we make in our lives. The things that we keep making room for on our little old saucer plate. And then we say, no, I'm good. I don't have anything else to give. Lord, convict us. Lord, I pray we see a church full of those who love you. A church of those going all out for you. Not just because they have to, but because they want to. They see the joy of serving. They see the joy of opening up their home. They see the joy of being life group leaders. They see the joy of sharing their faith in public. They see the joy of sowing good seed into your kingdom. Lord, show us these things that we do personally here as a part of your kingdom so we don't just keep pushing it off to somebody else. A few moments right now can change your life. Give God your blank check. Have him fill it out. That's how I would fill out every season of my life. Lord, here's my check. Here's my life. What ministries do I need to be at? Where, where do I need to go? God told me this past season with the truck, go out every Friday to the high schools. Go out every Monday downtown. And twice on Saturdays, go with the life groups and do ministry. You put that together every Friday, every Monday. That's eight times a month. <clears throat> The two Saturdays, that's 10 times a month I'm out preaching the gospel because Jesus told me to do that. That has zero to do with me being the pastor here today. Zero. I believe it applies, but you know what I mean. Zero. I, I would, if I stopped doing those 10 things, my paycheck this week would look exactly the same. What we did here would look exactly the same. But God told me, you go do that. That's your assignment on top of whatever else you're doing. Come on, think about it. Where's, where's God sending you? What's the sacrifices you're making? Jesus laid down his life. Lay down your lives for each other. Come on, you're not the only one with kids. 
You're not the only one with a spouse. You're not the only one trying to get A's in school. You're not the only one with a demanding job. But God says, put me first. Lay down your life. They may not always appreciate it. People may not always say thank you. But did they do that to Jesus? Yeah, they didn't always say thank you. They mistreated him. So the same way they treat Jesus, they'll treat you. So don't be surprised if they hate you. But here's the deal. Was Jesus honored and loved by the Father? Absolutely. Will you be honored and loved by the Father for laying down your life? Absolutely. Don't we all want to hear on Judgment Day, well done, good and faithful servant. few moments, few moments, look at your life. Say, Jesus, show me. Show me where to lay down my life for a brother or sister. Band, nursery, multimedia, creators, children's ministry, youth ministry, evangelism, and all of the various life groups, Spanish, teenage life groups, adult life groups, family life groups on Saturday. There's a place to get involved. Start here. Start here, brothers and sisters. Lay down your lives. Lay down your lives. It's worth it today. You'll be blessed. God's not trying to take away your free time to make you suffer. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to experience the power of change going through you into others. He wants you to build friendships that last a lifetime. Few moments, few moments, use us, God. Raise us up, God. Raise us up.